This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. All right, all right, superhumans, it's Boomer Anderson, and I'm back with another episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. So this is the second of our episodes with executives, entrepreneurs, and CEOs covering how they use different domains of what we call the systems approach to performance to help them really improve their performance. And so similar to a former podcast guest, Marco, we're going to talk a little bit about mindfulness today and how this one CEO and entrepreneur uses it in his company and companies, I should say, to really help enjoy or improve the human experience. And I have to give a shout out to Katie Ward for this one because she provided the connection. But our guest today is Arya Shabti. And Arya is on a mission to transform global business culture in order to improve society and the environment. He is the founder and CEO of Serenity Ventures, a global mastermind network for impact entrepreneurs. Having co-founded two businesses in the wellness space prior to Serenity Ventures, Arya now supports entrepreneurs to build more profitable, impactful, and sustainable businesses while having fun in the process. So what did we get into in this episode? We talked a little bit about Arya's really journey with Crohn's disease and how he unpacked that. And I think that roadmap actually provides a little bit of an interesting insight as to how to deal with a lot of problems. We got into his health journey, of course. We talked about how Arya used principles from Vipassana, mindfulness, and other aspects like yoga in his own companies. And of course, we did touch a little bit on ayahuasca. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Arya, that's A-R-Y-E. Enjoy my episode with Arya Shabte. Arya, welcome to the show. Thank you, Boomer. Thanks for having me. So I want to start off a little bit by painting a little bit about your background, because when I got to talking to you, you told me a little bit about your previous history with some companies and how things may have, you wish they could have gone differently, said it, said it another way. Do you mind just giving us a little bit of your, your journey here to, to mindfulness? Mm. I would actually make a slight adjustment to that is that not that I wish it could have gone differently is that it taught me how to do business. Differently. There you go. Great, great language, you know? by the way. Yeah. appreciate that. You know, cause definitely all these, you know, mistakes that I made early on in, in building businesses, uh, you know, long story short, I was working in the, you know, my own wellness tech businesses and, you know, let myself get burnt out and kind of walk you through the, the backstory that, that got me here that really taught me, you know, how and why to do business differently, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just to set some context, you know, I, I was reflecting the other day that uh, two out of three of out of the businesses that I've started came from me learning to reverse my own health issues, mm-hmm. seeing how I could use that process to help other people, you know, so I'll, I'll rewind is, uh, I was a junior in, in college at the University of Maryland. Um, you know, Co- I just College Park? College Park, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I mean, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, so it's not too far, and I had yeah. a few good friends go there too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's, uh, you know, 
at the time, a really kind of thriving entrepreneurial scene that was really getting growing. There were student-run, you know, co-working spaces and incubators popping up. So, you know, I kind of knew that I was going to go to college and, and start a business. And over the previous, it's probably about the previous three years at that point, I had gone through my own healing journey of learning to reverse Crohn's disease. Um, you know, getting to the, the root cause of the disease, um, incorporating just yoga and meditation and acupuncture and really, really taking a holistic approach. Do you so mind my, just, do you mind just laying out for people who may not be familiar with yeah. Crohn's? What were yeah. some of the things you're going through? Cause I've heard it can be pretty brutal. Yeah. For me, it was like having a chronic stomach virus, like a stomach virus for two years straight. Um, you know, I was never overweight, but I became underweight and, uh, there were kind of two connected issues. One was that I kind of lost my appetite and, and two is that I had inflammation in a certain part of my intestine. Um, that's kind of the, the, the case, the, the textbook definition of Crohn's disease is inflammation. The ileum is a part of the intestine. And, um, so that also triggers, uh, poor nutrient absorption. So I, I lost my appetite. I'm not absorbing nutrients. So I'm, I'm dealing with a whole host of, of symptoms from, you know, lack of energy, brain fog, pain, all the symptoms you would experience from a stomach virus, sometimes throwing up, sometimes diarrhea, sometimes constipation, just all the time. There's some uh, gut dysbiosis symptom going mm -hmm. on. And, um, you know, going down the conventional route, I, I saw it was a dead end for me. You know, the doctor said, oh, you know, you've got this chronic disease. You know, there's, you know, when it comes, when it flares up, you know, we'll write a prescription and then, you know, we'll just have you on pharmaceuticals for the rest of your life. And it got to a point where actually the, the side effects of all these, these medications were worse than the disease itself. Um, which says a lot because yeah. you know, I, I just described a, a pretty painful situation. Yeah. Um, and uh, that just inspired me to start doing my own self-study, my own research about nutrition and lifestyle design and, um, you know, really taking responsibility for my own health and well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what led me to, to start my first company when I was in college uh, which is, it's a social network for wellness. Mm -hmm. So now it's uh, the world's largest social network for wellness. It's called DowCloud.com, D-A-O-Cloud.com. And it's like a network marketplace where you can find information and community of other wellness professionals and people, like-minded people that are interested in living in optimal health. And, uh, you know, I, that was a, a five-year journey before, you know, a year and a half ago, I resigned from that company. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in that company, that was also when I started experimenting with, that, with these ideas of intentionally building a culture, you know, building a resilient culture, uh, building a culture um, that practiced mindfulness, um, you know, so for example, uh, I, I incorporated a, a daily meditation into the team. We had a, a virtual team, uh, you know, members around the world. 
but every day at a certain time, they can come on if they want, hop on Skype or Zoom, whatever we were using at the time. And I would lead a meditation for the team or give other people in the team an opportunity if they wanted to, to lead meditations. You know, so that was kind of one of the experiments that I led in incorporating mindfulness into the culture, giving people unique opportunities to step up into leadership roles, you know, leading mm-hmm. a, a 10 minute meditation for the group. Um, so what was interesting about that experience is that, you know, being a young founder who just really wanted to get certain results um, and I wasn't really satisfied with the results that I was getting. So I was being really hard on myself and, uh, you know, took five years, didn't take a vacation. Um, and there's always that next thing to do. It's like, all right, we got to raise some funds, you know, and then we got to get the, the next product out the door. And then, oh, there's that marketing campaign. It's like, there's always something more to do. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really giving myself permission to take time and rest and recover, you know, it's like always doing, doing, doing for five years straight um, to the point where the, the last year I started just, you know, it felt like I was in a chronic state of anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. and having um, some relationship issues with my business partner um, and just, you know, feeling like I, I, I was not serving myself to, to keep going down that path. Mm-hmm. And so I decided five years in that the, the company felt like it was ready to, to grow without me. Um, and I decided to resign and in a way, you know, redesign my life. Um, and so I think that was also just an opportunity for me to, to reflect on, okay, like, yeah, I really want to be uh, building businesses that have an impact to improve society and the environment. But I also want to live a great quality of life, right? So I want to have that, that balance. Um, and so, yeah, it took six months to, to study, um, to travel and, and study yoga and meditation in, in different contexts, you know, into 10 different countries last year. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then that's what gave me the, the insight that there is a new way of, of doing business. Cause you know, six months after taking a, a sabbatical, then I started incorporating a new business uh, into the mix um, because I had built a community of other entrepreneurs around the world. And I saw that what I was experiencing was more than common, you know, really it was the norm for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs to kind of sacrifice. Um, and so I started doing some holistic executive coaching and uh, workshops and, you know, helping to change the conversation and change the, the mindset that entrepreneurs are working with um, so that we can be more mindful about, you know, getting the results that really matter in, in building, you know, highly profitable, impactful, sustainable business, um, but also having fun, you know, with the process. Yeah. Having fun with that process is, is absolutely crucial. And it's something that I didn't appreciate for a very long, long, long time. Um, I've shared with you my story kind of took and hit me head first or heart first, quite literally. Yeah. But let's talk, because one of the things that we love to talk about at Decoding Superhuman is this concept of empowered responsibility. Mm. And one of the, your example that you gave of your Crohn's disease is so powerful for me because 
you saw that what what people were telling you to do wasn't necessarily working and you kind of took right. the bull by the horns and um and really sought to fix it yourself do you mind just talking through how you went about just researching it because i think people having a an example of how to go about researching some of these areas themselves is very useful yeah yeah, I mean the the first thing I'll say is that it wasn't easy. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, and that was actually what led me to start the business because just going on Google and saying, "All right, I've got Crohn's disease. What do I do?" I mean, it, it took me two years before I really felt like I had an understanding of what needed to be done. Um, so you know, lots of experimentation with myself with different diet protocols. Um, working with different holistic practitioners, eventually finding my way to functional medicine. Um, that really accelerated the learning curve of, you know, having a professional that wasn't there to like necessarily diagnose and prescribe, you know, to cover up the symptoms, um, but really to, to work and guide me to understand myself at a, a deeper level, right? To guide and suggest, okay, eliminate all the foods that might be, you know, causing inflammation that might be agitating, irritating the digestive tract for 30 days and then introduce foods one by one. Mm -hmm. Right. So self-experimentation was kind of key for me. You know, when I, when I look at science, right, there's the, you know, Western data-driven empirical science, which has its role of like, you know, looking at these studies, seeing what's worked for other people, uh, finding the, the trends and patterns, you know, I, I believe that that's very important. And also I believe that everyone needs to understand themselves, right? That everyone can heal, not by just reading the research, but by listening to the body and by studying ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and really being committed to like that continuous process of self-study, mm -hmm. um, which takes time. It takes patience. It takes dedication. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like a quick, all right, I'm going to drink a glass of water with this pill and, you know, hope that my disease is fixed. Uh, everybody wants that though, right? I'm, I don't want that. You know, like I, I've learned that I, I don't want the quick fix. Enjoy the journey. Um, enjoy the journey. Appreciate the pain because there's a lesson there. Not to you know cause pain for myself, but you know one of the uh, the tools that I've used, you know, especially when it comes to self study, is is meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I, I did a vipassana retreat last year, and uh, one of the kind of uh, philosophies that's you know vipassana will, will teach is this idea of like equanimity you know rather than avoiding pain and seeking pleasure which in the long run is actually like a cycle for misery mm -hmm. um, because as humans we're going to experience pain we're going to experience pleasure and they're both temporary sensations mm -hmm. right um, and so rather than wanting the quick fix of okay I want pleasure now and I want to avoid pain now of just be able to feel and like appreciate whatever is coming up as a gift. So if I feel pain, you know, if I feel uh, stress or anxiety, 
rather than trying to get rid of it, I feel into and listen into like, what is that trying to teach me? What is the lesson here? Right? If I want to feel more light emotions, because anxiety is a kind of dark and heavy emotion. So if I do value lighter emotions, I want to feel more joy and peace of mind, you know, then I can listen to that anxiety and listen to the gift. Okay, what are the habits? What are the routines that I need to change so that I can work my way into a higher baseline? Mm-hmm. That's the, the way that I approach in, in a more scientific and, and mindful way, my own healing and, uh, you know, energetic mastery process. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Uh, we talk and I'm going to come back to the meditation in a little bit because yeah. I know you're doing that a lot now with, with your companies in particular. But in terms of when you're traveling the world, first off, I would love to hear what countries you're traveling to, but you built your second business around sort of executive coaching and changing the conversation. I yeah. want to go a little bit more into that changing of the conversation because when it comes to standard thinking, uh, particularly in the U.S., but also some other places. You know, there's this standard way of thought that we graduate from university. If we graduated from university at all, we go to work nine to five, if we're lucky, only nine to five. Um, and then you come home and you kind of have spaghetti night, etc. And there's that that sort of standard way of thinking. Mm. Do you mind going into a little bit on how you change the conversation and what that kind mm. of entails? Yeah, so I'll start with what you had brought up in in the the earlier part of the question about my my travels yeah. and you know kind of seeing trends around the world. So I was actually living in in San Francisco with my last company, um, and I decided it, more than decided it, it feels like a magnet kind of pulled me out. I, I moved to to Tel Aviv, Israel, and kind of saw that as a great opportunity to set up a new home base that was geographically more central between East and West. Um, you know, that's kind of what the way that my mindset works. I like to balance the Eastern and, and Western mindsets. Mm-hmm. Um, so geographically I want to be in between the two, uh, axes, so to speak. It's a great but tech hub too. It's a great tech hub. Um, there are a lot of very important problems to solve here. There are important problems to solve everywhere, but I feel particularly drawn to, uh, to being a part of the peace process here in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I went to India for a month. I, I did you know, yoga teacher training there, um, came back to Israel for a month. Then I went on another two-month journey. I went to Denmark, Portugal, Spain, uh, did another yoga teacher training there, um, came back to Israel for maybe two months, uh went to Greece. I had a retreat with uh, the team that helped to uh, get Serenity Ventures going. This is the, the new venture that I started. Um, went to Bali. I was at a, a Mind Valley event. So they have a Mind Valley is a really amazing company as well. It's also shifting the conversation and educating and empowering people um, around lifestyle design and um, 
Yeah, just helping people to see uh, there's a, a different way of thinking than the conventional nine to five. I'm going to retire when I'm 60, um, you know, way of living. Mm-hmm. And uh, and while I was doing all this, I was, you know, really keen to to study both the healing and the business communities yep. around the world. Um, and what I see happening is, you know, there's this emergence of young entrepreneurs that want to have a business that improves either society, their environment, that they feel like the business is actually making an impact that it is making them money, but it is also leading them to feel fulfilled. Um, which the previous generation didn't seem to value and account for, right? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't as much in, in you know the 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 story of okay, go graduate, you know, get a job, get a good paycheck, get a house, so that you can retire when you're sixty. Like that was kind of the narrative, but it wasn't like, and also make sure that you feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That was more like an afterthought, like a, you know, if you can do that, you're super lucky, but everyone can do that. So maybe everyone is, is lucky. Um, but, you know, really the, the, the shift in conversation that I think needs to happen is around the use of business as a tool that influences society and the environment, right? Mm-hmm. So we can either use business as like a hammer and we could take the house and we could break it up, right? So imagine that business is a tool and we take the hammer and we're, you know, hammering holes in the walls so that we can go and, you know, hire someone to go fix it because that's good for the economy if we break holes in the wall and then we go hire someone to fix it, right? That's like the old way of doing business. Like let's create holes in the wall so we can go and hire someone to fix it. Mm-hmm. Versus now it's like, well, like we have the same hammer, and we can actually use it to improve the house mm-hmm. um, because we've done so much damage to the house that if we don't, we won't have somewhere to live. You know, like the, the statistics on the loss of, of biodiversity, for example, every day, the amount of, of species that are going extinct, it's alarming because I, I value, you know, living in a resilient and, you know, sustainable culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there, there are needs, you know, that the, that, that humanity needs to focus our attention on improving uh, both our values in society, the way that we communicate and relate with each other, um, and also the way that we communicate and relate with our environment. Um, so that's kind of the, the shift that I see happening in the business world is that we have these problems with society and the environment you know, sure, you can start a nonprofit and ask for donations, but um, I think that there are people that are kind of waking up and saying, well, I can use the same profit mechanism, right, to improve society environment. Mm-hmm. So that I can actually have a profit engine that makes a sustainable business that is aligned with an incentive, you know, beyond just money. It's, it's like a, a deeper uh, uh, or I should say a more complex incentive system. It's like, yes, one is profit and two is, well, what am I doing to improve society, the environment? So that's the, the kind of shift in conversation that I, 
and wanting to continue to uh, encourage and support. Um, and that's what I think needs to happen. Like if, if we're planning to have, you know, offspring that will actually have a planet to live on. <laughs> All right. So what were some of the reactions as you're spreading this word, right? Because it's for, let's say if we have a bell curve, you know, 67% of the norm or 67% is normal, right? And if you have a bell curve and you say the normal isn't familiar with these concepts and you're out there talking about these concepts with people as you're traveling in these 10 different countries, what's coming the feedback that you're getting? Hmm. Well, I guess I was immersed in like a, in unique communities where this was. That's probably like, the norm. <laughs> yeah. Like that was like, oh yeah, it was really refreshing because we were like outliers you know, mm -hmm. and then we went and we found these kind of micro communities um, where, you know, for example, uh, in Mind Valley, you mm -hmm. know, there's a high, uh, th there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are uh, mindful of designing a lifestyle that leads to that fulfillment, that leads to, you know, uh, living in optimal health. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of the norm. So I, I, I guess I've sought out communities where people are already involved in this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and it brings up a question of how do we make this a part of the mainstream conversation? Because you turn on the news and, you know, uh, it's a whole different story. Yeah, if you go. And so I try to avoid turning on the news, so to speak, because yeah, it's a little bit. I mean, it doesn't always paint the complete picture, right? Um, but if you look at kind of Mind Valley and where I guess you and I are, yeah. in terms of the crossing the chasm reference, right? Like we're still in that early adopter stage and sort of how do you jump over the chasm? <clears throat> Anyways, that's probably another show topic for another time. Hmm. Let's talk about your businesses now and how you've brought these concepts into the business. Let's start by talking about what you've taken away from your experience with yoga. Hmm. Yeah. So, well, first, you know, when I was first introduced to yoga, I saw that it was like a, it was like a way of movement. You know, you go to these yoga classes, you get your stretch on, maybe you'll sweat, you'll feel relaxed. Um, but the more that I've really studied yoga, the more I've realized that it's, it is a, it's a science of self-realization. Like we use the postures, we use the movements, uh, really to connect the mind and the body, but more even, uh, on a more deep level than that, it's to, to see the light of the soul, you know, as, as Iyengar would say, mm -hmm. Uh, Iyengar was one of the the, the first uh, yoga teachers to bring asana uh, to the West. Um, and, you know, even if someone doesn't, quote unquote, believe in the soul, right, it's to really understand ourself. And we can use it purely, you know, to understand what actually mm, can we do to live with these lighter emotions, you know, so that's, uh, 
what yoga has taught me is like a tool to align with a steady progression of like moving up a ladder of lighter and lighter emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's kind of one way that I see uh, the, the yoga alignment helping me and uh, especially the, the clients that I work with. Um, because what I found is that when we are able to work on moving up the emotional ladder, like if we were to see that there's a, a spectrum of emotions that are, some are darker and heavier and some are lighter. Oh, this is fascinating. Are, I love this. Let's continue. Yeah. Right. And so we, we might have like a certain baseline. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our, our baseline uh, could either be we are, are living in a baseline of anger. Like that is a, a very dark and dense emotion. Think about it. When you're angry, like, are you likely to be creative? Are you likely to like build meaningful relationships? Never. You know, are you likely to, to, mm, uh, be able to attract, you know, a, a team around you? Um, you know, you'll attract other angry people. Sure. But are they going to be creative? Like, I, I don't believe so. But then on the other side, if, if your baseline is like joy, right? Mm-hmm. If that is your baseline, then you'll have more energy for creativity. You'll attract more of a creative team. Um, and so that's like the, the light and dark. You know, if we were to look at uh, what we want is, you know, what I want is this baseline of joy and light emotions, Um, and so I study myself and I see what actually leads, you know, to a progression up that ladder. Um, and one of the the components of yoga is, is Mm self-study, right? So we do the postures, we we do the asana as a a way of practicing Mm self-study. Um, so I, I'm, I feel like I might have kind of strayed from your question. So I, I want to get some feedback and perspective. No, no, no. Let's, let's, uh, let's go into first off. Um, because my question was original, I think you answered my original question, but I, I'm going to go into another one in a second. What kind of yoga do you practice today? So the way that I see it is that it's all yoga. Like yoga uh-huh. is the science of self-realization. So mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if, how can I simplify this? Uh, yoga means union. Mm-hmm. The word yoga means union, mm-hmm. right? It's a way of creating union in all the parts of our life, union between mind, body, and spirit, union between self and other. That's why I see yoga as much more than just asana, mm-hmm. right? So there are certain a- styles of asana that I'm more attracted to now because of what my physical and mental body need. Um, but the way that we can incorporate yoga into everything that we do, right? Because one of the ways that I understand what is yoga is, you know, the science of self-realization and the process of stilling the fluctuations of the mind uh, is, is one other definition of yoga that comes from the yoga sutras. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can incorporate that into everything that we do. We can incorporate that into our business, you know, um, using our, our business um, to serve the collective good. I would say that that is even practicing a form of yoga. Mm-hmm. So now that I've answered a more esoteric 
uh, part of your question. On a physical level, you know, I've, I've been recently really uh, attracted to uh, Iyengar method of yoga because I'm recovering uh, from uh, an injury from a bike accident. Um, and I, I found an amazing studio nearby that has a, a medical yoga class um, and it's a, an, an Iyengar studio. Um, Iyengar is, is, has a reputation for being very disciplined about alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, can you hear the call to prayer in the I, background I can, now? but it's for everybody listening. This is the call to prayer in television. This is the call to prayer. I live in I live in a neighborhood. It's it's part of Tel Aviv, but it's called Yafo. Okay, uh, it's an, an ancient Arab neighborhood um, in Tel Aviv. So five times a day, there's a, a nice there's a good call. call you, so you get the nice. Is it four a.m. Is the first one? No, around then I think it's like four thirty. Yeah, I uh, I used to spend a lot of time in Jakarta, and the hotel I would stay in was right behind a mosque and so it was a nice it was a nice way to just not have an alarm clock all right so you guys are probably wondering what are the brands of blue light blockers that i recommend well one of them is the sponsor for today's podcast and they are blue blocks i've had the ceo andy mant on the show before where we got into a really deep dive on blue light And you know that if you get any amount of blue light in your glasses, no matter if it's 3%, 10%, whatever, it does disrupt melatonin production. And so Andy has created blue light blockers that hold up to the highest standards. And in fact, and I'll link to it in the show notes, you can see when he's tested it versus other brands that they always come out on top. And so quality is a thing I appreciate and is what exactly I recommend for all of our clients. But if you head over to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and plug in the code DS15, you're going to get 15% off. And now on with the show. So we were just talking about Iyengar yoga and how it's really helped you recover from injury. Um, Yes. Say a little bit more about that and then I want to transition more into your business. Sure. Yeah. So with Iyengar yoga, so there, there's a couple, there, there's a, a deep set of layers to the philosophy. Um, but one is, is really on like self-awareness of really being able to feel all the parts of the body. So like, for example, it, I can spread all the tips of my fingers and I can give all of the attention to the, the feeling of my fingers being spread there's a certain level of intelligence that's going into my hand right now. But what if I'm able to do that while still feeling all the other parts of my body? And if I'm, you know, let's say I'm, I'm standing upright at the moment. Right now I'm sitting, but if I were standing upright with my feet rooted on the floor and just standing, it's, it's called Tadasana, it's mountain pose, mm-hmm. right? And so with an Iyengar style of yoga, we would activate all the muscles and, and basically connect muscle and bone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we, we intentionally create that tension in the body um, as a way of sending intelligence through the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, uh, if in my knee there, because it was a, a ligament uh, and cartilage injury, um, if I were to not pay attention, if I were to not send intelligence, 
then I might lose certain feelings. I might lose certain range of motion in my knee, or I might put myself at risk down the road for having other injuries. Mm -hmm. But because every day I'm intentionally sending intelligence into my knee and engaging muscle to bone, I'm, I'm building a more resilient knee um, through that process. Um, and I'm doing that in a way where there's alignment in the body. Um, so that's one of the, the layers of, of Iyengar. But the other is that every cell of our body, like we can see the light of the soul that like uh, for whatever you uh, understand about the nature of spirit, um, that there is some source for all the energy in the body, mm-hmm. right? And so we can see that there is this, this light that is giving all the cells of our body energy, right? And mm-hmm. so one of the, the aims within, that, that Iyengar talks about is that yoga is a way of, of seeing and merging with the light of the soul, mm-hmm. We can either be unconscious and live in this state of illusion and see the separation between self and other. Um, so that we can Cartesian see, duality, right? So yeah, okay. Uh, or we can see that everything is deeply connected. All the cells in my body, while they materially might be separate, they are all reflections of the light of the soul, that the energy from the soul, the light from the soul is giving all the cells in my body, all the thoughts in my mind, energy to work with. And that mm, we have different soul parts, but there is one super soul, Mm -hmm. right? So, and, and this is actually one idea that is deeply inspiring for me is that, you know, I, I used to think that, I have ideas. I have, you know, I'm very creative. I have these ideas, but what I've learned is that I have a way of accessing the collective consciousness and downloading ideas, Mm -hmm. right? So if we both tap into that collective consciousness, we can both download either the same idea or different ideas. Um, But I think that's also one of the benefits that I found from integrating yoga into a business perspective is that we can tap into the collective consciousness, mm-hmm. see what needs to be done to serve the collective good and take action on that idea, you know? And I can imagine for someone who uh, doesn't understand the nature of spirit and might say, oh, I don't believe in that there is a soul. I, I, I want to, I think I have a question here on this concept of collective consciousness because yeah. again, going back to our bell curve here, if we're talking to the mean and sort of, you know, the mean, or I guess let's go with the average listener executive uh, who is, you know, in certain industries, that concept of consciousness is sort of one that has been shrouded in woo, right? How have you come to understand consciousness yourself? Like what other than, well, it seems like yoga has played a big role in that, but what other, you know, either books, tools, things that you've come across on your way have helped you understand this consciousness? Yeah, it's a great question. 
So one tool that I found to be very helpful was Vipassana. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vipassana is a 10-day silent meditation retreat, um, non-dogmatic, non-religious. Um, but what happens when we are able to eliminate all the sensory input from other people, from the internet, but really just connect and listen to the breath and sends the intelligence of the mind through different parts of her body and to, to really just sit with that. Um, you know, at least what I've experienced is that it, it's like this place where you realize that, well, maybe this sounds obvious, but you've never had a time when you weren't conscious. Like there is, even when you're in like a, even the, what we call the unconscious mind is a state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're like always in a state of now, always in a state of consciousness. Um, so yes, Vipassana was a really powerful tool for me. It helped me to simplify a lot of the questions that I had that there were, you know, questions on top of questions, but getting to like the root question and being able to understand um, what I'm really working towards to really simplify that for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I found that to be effective um, as a a productivity tool, um, but also as a a way of understanding myself on on a deeper level. Um, the other is, is working with plant medicine. Um, so I went to my first ayahuasca retreat, uh, at the end of last year mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I've been working more and more with, with plant medicine. Um, one of the tools that I can use to directly connect to the collective consciousness, uh, this is beautiful. So let's take this because these are really good tools for people to potentially explore. How do you apply this in your business now? Because you've, I've seen the concept of mindfulness being introduced into business in very wrong ways. You know, you think of the the meditation class that's offered at lunch for employees of a bank. But if you actually go and neglect your job, your employer may not view that so so um, properly. How do you introduce it? And what are some of the results you've seen from it? Mm. Yeah, I think it's very individualized, right? Whereas some people might want to, you know, have that meditation in the middle of the day, Um, other people want to be able to get out and go surf, Mm -hmm. right? Like everyone might, might have different wants and ways of, uh, practicing mindfulness, which that word in and of itself is, is, uh, been diluted. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wanting to be able to communicate more clearly what it is, um, I think another synonym for it is is lifestyle design is um, 
effective habits that align with our end goals. You know, these are, are maybe more tangible ideas of, you know, what mindfulness is in practice, right? It's mm-hmm. more self-awareness around our habits or routines or beliefs and how they align with our end goals. So that's one of the ways that I, I work with entrepreneurs is, is help to be a mirror to reflect, you know, are your habits, beliefs, and routines aligned with your end goals, mm-hmm. right? And so we can use this idea of mindfulness to analyze, to study, um, to feel into, and to evolve our habits, beliefs, and routines to align with our end goals, right? So like one habit, someone might want, you know, to, uh, to go and, you know, practice yoga in a class, you know, five times a week. And like that habit gives them the, the movement, it gives them uh, the connection with their breath, that they're able to, you know, clear their mind and, and enhance their creativity. Mm-hmm. And for that, you know, they, they value creativity. And so, you know, one example is just working with people on an individual level to understand, you know, what are the habits, beliefs, and routines that you need to evolve to better align with your end goals? And then what action do you want to take to do that? Do you want to go and, you know, register with the yoga studio and, you know, how can we gamify that, you mm-hmm. know, so that if you want to commit to going five times a week, um, but you're in this habit of self-sacrificing, like how could we assign a cost to not taking the action that you know serves your best, you know, best interest in the long run? Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it's like a, a daily meditation practice, here, here's a good example. I was working with a, a new client who told me, yeah, you know, I've wanted to explore meditation. I'm not good at it. You know, this is kind of a common story of like, yeah, I'm really curious about meditation. I see it works for other people. We're like, I'm just not good at it. You know, that's a very common story that I hear. It was like, okay, cool. So you told me that you want to explore meditation. Seems like you're clear on, on why you want to do that. So like, what do you want to do? How, how often do you want to meditate? Okay. I want to meditate every day for 10 minutes. Cool. All right, so rather than feeling bad about yourself if you miss a day, why don't we gamify it? Why don't we add a consequence? For every day that you miss, why don't you make a commitment? You know, one that I like is, is put some money on the line, mm-hmm. right? Like there, there's a behavioral economic study where people would rather not lose money than gain money, mm-hmm. okay? So put some money on the line where... For the next two weeks, if you want to meditate 10 minutes a day and you miss a day, what is the cost? You know, do you want to uh, either meditate or invest $100 in uh, planting trees? Like that's, that's the, my, my go-to consequence for myself is like if I make a commitment that I like, I, I want to, to gamify. Mm-hmm. I want, especially when it comes to like changing habits, um, I kind of use this game with myself. Like either I will do X or I will own a consequence and invest a thousand dollars in planting trees. Mm-hmm. Like something that's still like, it's, it's going to be painful. Like I'm not going to be out on the streets, you know, because I, I don't have that money, but like, you know, something significant and meaningful, um, right? 
And yeah. And, and, it, and it's like, at least there's some benefit. like mm-hmm. either I, I have this habit that I want or like there are trees that are being planted mm-hmm. and yeah. Okay. The consequence is that I have less money in my bank account. Um, so I'm able to feel that pain and get that reinforcement and I don't feel bad about myself. I just own the consequence. Um, that's great. Yeah. So what are some of the effects that you've seen with people? Because you just outlined a beautiful formula there with aligning your habits, beliefs, and routines. What are some of the effects you've seen with people, maybe employees as well, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of how it's impacted the overall business? Yeah. Well, it's a small team. I essentially have like me, my business partner, Jake is in Colorado. um, And now we're, uh, we have some, kind of contractors around working on the project, but not really dedicated to the project. Um, but I can talk about, you know, my relationship with Jake um, and also the, the community that we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that um, Jake and I have invested a lot of time and energy in building, like it's called empathetic listening, mm-hmm. essentially like, Um, it's like active listening so that if someone's talking, then we actively listen and we, we, there's a framework, we use the nonviolent communication framework to embed empathy and compassion into our communication. So what I love is that I've been able to build a team where like any challenge that I'm going through, whether it's personally or professionally, like I have people that I can talk to. You know, whereas in my last business, I was bottling up a lot of the stresses and anxieties and it was building up for years. Um, now, like if something's coming up and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling anxious about something. I mean, like I like I'm, I'm listening into that. And I want to like talk about it. Um, you know, talking about our emotions mm-hmm. um, was kind of taboo in business. And it it's is. becoming more and more uh, accepted. Um, and I just find that uh, the, the company is able to persevere through any challenge because we have that empathetic listening mm-hmm. because whatever challenges we're, we're dealing with personally or professionally, we have that support system. Um, and that helps to lead to these lighter emotions like joy and fulfillment and connection. Um, so on a personal level, I feel extremely fulfilled uh, with what I'm doing because of the team that I've built, um, because of the culture that I've built, um, and because of the, the community that I'm, well, all of these I'm, I'm continuing to build. Um, and with my clients, I find that the biggest kind of immediate feedback is that they're getting more and more clarity, mm-hmm. more and more clarity on what they really want, more and more clarity on what they need to do to get there. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of unknowns in business. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's two benefits to getting clear. One is that um, we have that peace of mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so the clarity comes down to both what we actually want to accomplish right? There's a sense of clarity of, okay, cool. Like I, I know the objectives, I know the key results. So I have my, my goals laid out. Um, but there's also a clarity of 
what do I want to feel, right? So it's what do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? What are the end goals that I want to work towards? But also what is the feeling that I want? So I have that clarity of, oh yeah, I want to do all this. And I also want to feel fulfilled and happy, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's also part of the old paradigm of doing business is like, just focusing on that single bottom line. What are, you know, how much money do you want to make? Um, right. But there's, there's more layers of it. It's like, cool. Yeah. How much money do you want to make? Uh, what do you want to do in your free time? And how do you want to feel? Like what is the baseline of your emotional states that you want? Mm-hmm. So there's like layers of clarity that I, I find uh, the the community of of business leaders that I'm working with are are able uh, to experience, um, yeah, just by being asked unusual questions and by being given empathetic listening. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. If you don't mind, Arya, I want to, because you've given us such good information, I want to transition into the final four questions. And you can think of these as kind of rapid fire questions that we ask everybody, but I'm very curious about your answers. Okay. So first question here is, is what is one area where you think people should pay more attention to when looking to improve their own performance? Their breath. Good answer. Great answer. What's your top trick for enhancing focus? Man, I want to say breath. You can't, you can, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Breath, listen and feel, connect with the breath. I think that's, that's been an answer for more than, I want to say 10% of people. It's a significant uh, answer in the context of this question because it's very interesting to see how many high performers come back to something like the breath when enhancing focus. Yeah. So what book has significantly impacted your life and how you show up to perform in it? Hmm. Man, there were many, but the the first one that came to mind is the autobiography of a yogi, Mm -hmm. uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, this book was, uh, so Steve Jobs actually read Autobiography of a Yogi on a yearly basis and gave out a copy to every single person at his funeral. Mm-hmm. That's it. I didn't realize he did that, but that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Aria, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, so you can always check out our site, serenityventures.org, or hit me up on Facebook, LinkedIn. R-E-S shop tie. It's A-R-Y-E-S-H-A-B-T-A-I, which you'll see in the show notes, I'm sure. Absolutely. The show notes for this one are going to be at decodingsuperhuman.com slash serenity. Aria, this has been an absolute pleasure, my friend. I've enjoyed the conversation very much. Likewise. Thank you, Boomer. Superhumans, before you go, if you enjoy the episode, if you enjoy all of our episodes, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. It would really, really help get the word out on what we're doing here at Decoding Superhuman. Feedback. 
If you want to give us direct feedback, or you want to see us cover a specific topic, whether on the shorter episodes or the longer episodes, head on over to your email and email us at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. For those of you who have sent emails to that address, you know that I respond to every single one. And then lastly, would you like 300 to 500 words of highly curated information on how to upgrade performance? If so, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com slash throwdown and you'll get our next issue of the throwdown, which is our 300 to 500 word highly curated digest, if you will, on what's going on in the field of performance. Enjoy your day, superhumans, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's episode.